You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones, as well as the A131 and A133 large diaphragm studio condenser microphones at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath asked us to read this. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? No, because the tree was using one of those mics with an on and off switch on it. And those are always off just when you need to hear them the most. Still figuring this shit out. No, no T minus zero, quote no, unquote, it, Ryan or John. Yep. Welcome back to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. I'm Michael Lawrence. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Hal Turnside and Chris Leonard. Gentlemen, what's going on? How's it going? Hanging out, braving the heat. It's summertime. Is summer, it summer, there? summertime. Yeah, man, it's been brutal. Brutal heat wave here in But you St. got your Louis, shirt Missouri. on, so it can't be that bad. Well, part, here's no part, sleeves, part of a shirt on. No <laughs> sleeves, bro. You got a half right a shirt to, on. Right this. to bare arms. Got the, mid- the middle half of a shirt. <laughs> the middle half of a Danzig shirt, probably. <laughs> From 92 or some shit. Just like That's, my hair. There you go. <laughs> All right. So uh, before we get to our guest this episode, we've got to keep in uh, with tradition. Chris Leonard, what's the coolest thing you have within arm's reach? Oh, shit. <laughs> it's okay, Kyle. You have time. So I have this guy, right? So What is that? This is a uh, tractor trailer. Well, I mean, obviously not full size. The model, it's a mo- model tractor trailer. It's a yeah. So uh, we're in the process of evaluating. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a one, one to one forty three. I don't know how you say that diecast. Uh, um, Those so, are the good ones. Anyway, um, so sh- uh, this is from Show Motion, right? They do they do a lot of touring. They do a lot of other oh, yeah, transportation yeah. stuff. So we're in the process of uh, evaluating um, a bunch of different trucking companies that work for you know for the work for the work we do. Um, and so I've been hitting up a bunch of companies and I'm just in the mail one day, this thing showed up in my office and I thought it was really cool. cool. And so now I have a toy semi to play with in my office at work. So I think you should hire them just I based on it. that and nothing to do with professional. Yeah. I think that, I think that was the idea cool. there, but it's all good. Um, real quick though, before I, I do want to give one, um, uh, special shout out to, um, so Aaron Pelagian, who was a, um, he worked for me for the last five years. Um, he has moved on to an incredible job. Um, he took a position at, at the United States Marine Band, uh, the president, oh, president's cool. own. Uh, he's going to be a, a live and recording engineer for them. Um, uh, there probably isn't much of a higher position in terms of mixing a gig in this country, in my opinion. Um, and I am proud of him. I am sad to see him go, but I can't wait to see where he goes. And so I just wanted to give a special shout out to him. And I, I he's been my right hand man for um, some of the biggest events I've ever done at IMS with, like the Eagles Parade, um, NEA, and a bunch of other things. And cool. I'm going to miss him dearly. So I, I appreciate you, Aaron. Thank you. Great. Yeah, that's, awesome. that's amazing. Congrats, man. Yeah, Kyle Turnside. What you got with the <laughs> man? You forgot I already. Forget. Yeah, I, I forgot already. So I've never done this before. I got my dead dog. Wait, oh, what geez, the? Dude. Yeah. What? So it's my ashes of my dog, <laughs> Elliot. And um, it was an arm's length. It's like literally a bag Michael, of ashes. Michael, what have I gotten myself into? It's a bag I'm of sorry, ashes. Charlie, it's, it's, sorry. it's just me, Charlie. The other guys are totally smart. They ask really good questions. <laughs> It's totally worth it. Yeah, but oh, that's my dead dog. My just don't spread them right now, the ashes. No, 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 no. I tried. Whoa. All, right. <laughs> All right. What I have uh, is deck of cards, ordinary deck of cards. Normally, I would ask you to pick one, and then I would do magic with it. I decided over the pandemic I was going to learn doesn't work. one magic It doesn't work trick. on a podcast. Just say it, it certainly doesn't work when you're, I'm choosing the card and then guessing. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, no, I've been practicing my, my magic trick that I'm going to do. So hopefully next time we see everybody at a trade show, which, by the way, we are going to be at the Church Facilities Expo this September yep. in where are Dallas. We? Is it Dallas. Dallas. I just got back from September Dallas. September 22, 23, I think. I think something yeah. like that. We're going to be at the Pro Sound Web uh, Loudspeaker Showcase. I'm going to be running the console, and these two handsome gentlemen are going to be... Um, yeah, I know. Chris is looking around like who. Uh, <laughs> they're going to be your MCs for for the last video. So come on out and see us. And I have it on a good authority that Samantha Potter is going to be out there and Will Snow is going to be out there. And so a bunch of our friends are going to be out there. 
Our guest on this episode, uh, someone I'm honored to call my friend, very intelligent gentleman, uh, Mr. Charlie Hughes. Uh, he's the newly appointed principal engineer at Biamp. He's worked with Altec Lansing. He has his own company, Excelsior Auto. He audio, excuse me. He was a senior engineer with PV Electronics for 14 years. Um, super knowledgeable guy, just in terms of test and measurement and loudspeaker design. And uh, I have to say, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, learning from him and always being able to pick his brain about stuff. Uh, Charlie Hughes, welcome to the show, man. It's great to have yeah. you. Thanks yeah. for having me, guys. I appreciate y'all inviting me. Where are you joining us from right now? I'm right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. In, in oh, okay. Beautiful downtown Gastonia. Well, not a, I was, exactly downtown, I was but... stuck in Charlotte actually over the weekend because I had a flight that didn't make the connection, and so... I was stranded there for 12 hours, and I was like, who do I know here? Yeah, but see, that, <laughs> you should have given me a call, man. That, that airport is built in a, such a way they know everyone's going to get stuck there. There's this whole section <laughs> yeah. where there's like 100 rocking chairs just spread yep. out because they know you're going to be sitting at that airport because so many uh, uh, flights connect through there. It was it was brutal. Yeah. Uh, so, But we'll talk about that another time. Um we have a lot to talk about that, that I'm really interested in. Um, but first, I'll say, Charlie, I've been reading your articles for a long time, man. Charlie's a contributor with... What's the, what are you doing sorry, with the sorry, finger sorry, for sorry. now, Chris? Hey, arms That's reach, arms reach. Come on, guy. Oh, we're good. Okay, Charlie Charlie Hughes, what's the coolest thing you got with an arms reach? Um, <laughs> probably this cool little combination bottle opener USB key. Ah, oh wow! From oh yeah, Tom cool. Petty and the Heartbreakers. Functional. Nice. Oh wow! Functional. Yeah, Very functional. Yeah, that's that we hey. like that one. Yep, that's the coolest thing we've had so far. That's cool. Way better than my dead dog. <laughs> Not functional. <laughs> Zero functionality. Hey man, that's a function of my heart. Well, he, he does heart. one trick good. He does. Play dead. Oh, my Lord. Um, Charlie, I've been reading your articles for a long time. Uh, for those who don't know, I think Chris will put the, the link in the in the description of this episode. Uh, Charlie is a contributor to Prosound Web, and he has a lot of really excellent articles on there. Um, one of the ones I sent to the guys in preparation for – we actually prepared uh, for an episode, and that's as far as we've gone. I've sent them a link. I don't know if they looked at it or not. We'll see what happens. Um, we had a whiteboard set up and everything. made up the timeline. <laughs> Pieces of yarn connecting, yeah, to your different articles. Um, we talked about CS eight hundreds. We're definitely going there. Yeah, we definitely want to talk about uh, about the PV stuff. But Charlie, how did you find your way into what you do now? What was your road, your kind of path like into pro audio? Ah, uh, wow. Um, well, I wanted, always knew I wanted to do something with sound. Ever since I was in junior high, high school, uh, loved music, listening to music, got into stereo systems, components, and and whatnot. Um, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Uh, when I was in school, uh, I was, uh, thought I was going to be an electrical engineer, uh, when I was at Georgia Tech, um, had, um, let's say some academic challenges there, uh, first, uh, <laughs> I can relate. year there. I yeah, relate uh, well. Long story short, um, I just by luck, ran up on the uh, professor there that ended up being uh, my faculty advisor and a great mentor, uh, Dr. Eugene Petronas. And uh, when uh, first saw him giving a presentation, he was talking about what he does um, or some of the things he, he did at the time, measuring loudspeakers, sound systems, uh, using a, a TEF analyzer. This was back in the mid-80s. Um, and I was like, that's what I want to do. So right after that class got over, uh, I, I went and made an appointment to speak with him at his office. And, um, uh, it was either later that week or the next week I changed my major from, um, uh, electrical engineering to physics. Hmm. And I will, I will also mention, uh, you're probably one of only two or three guests we've had on the show that, uh, actually has a Wikipedia entry. <laughs> so that's that's pretty cool. You're up there, man. But um, and and I, I want to just because we have a lot of younger listeners who are in college right now, are sort of finding their way in audio, and they may not be familiar with uh, the TEF analyzer. Can you just briefly explain what it is for people who aren't familiar? Yeah, the uh, TEF, which uh, stands for Time Energy Frequency, uh, was an analyzer that was originally developed by uh, uh, Tecron, which was a division of Crown. Uh, makers of amplifiers and all this was way before um, they were in the Harmon family. Um, but it was one of the first commercially available analyzers that lets you do 
uh, acoustical measurements where you could see magnitude and phase. Um, it wasn't time blind like um, typical one third octave or one octave real time analyzers are. Um, it it allowed folks to do a lot of other really neat things in, in sound system design and, and troubleshooting. There were lots of different modules for it. Um, but uh, yeah, that was what I first started using, um, I guess, senior year in, in college. And then when I first, uh, uh, first job at, at PV, uh, they were, were big in, in TEF analyzers. We had, had them uh, for all of our loudspeaker final assembly uh, quality control. Uh, used them in in the lab at the time. I think PV was the largest owner of of TEF analyzers mm -hmm. in in the country. Um, so uh, yeah, it was so it people was, how uh, how small they were. Oh yeah, they or how how to, how portable they were. Yeah, they were a boat anchor. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were they were freaking huge. Um, but you know, for what they did at the time, no, nothing else did that. They were right. an improvement over the. Uh, the conglomeration of, of gear that was manually assembled to do the same thing when, when the process um, time delay spectrometry was first conceived of by uh, Richard Heiser. Um, some of you may recognize the name Heiser, some may not. Uh, mm -hmm. He was a, a past president of the Audio Engineering Society, and to this day there is uh, the premier lecture during the uh, AES conventions is the Heiser lecture, and anyone invited to present that lecture uh, knows knows their stuff. Uh, but if if you want to learn some stuff about audio acoustics measurements, uh, read anything that Dick Heiser wrote. Brilliant guy. Um, died way too young. He he probably, arguably, uh, would have won a Nobel Prize had had he not uh, passed away before his time. I, I've called Heiser. I've referred to him as probably the most brilliant audio engineer ever to live. Yeah, um, and, yeah, and brilliant I, fellow. You know, I, I try not to make statements like that. There is a, a collection of his uh, published papers available through AES portal. Yeah. I definitely encourage people to check it out. And I, I can't follow all the math, but you know, I was actually I was funny. I was on the train down to AES a couple of years ago, and that was what my reading was for the trip down. And um, we're really spoiled, you know, with our modern tool set where, well, of course yep. we can measure magnitude and phase and impulse response and all this stuff, but coming out of just having an RTA available and for the first time being able to actually see phase and see the time relationship between signals was an absolute paradigm shift. Um, and so I, I, there's probably, I can't think of a good analogy for like how big of a breakthrough that would have been at the time for someone who, you know, who wasn't around. So yeah, huge. it was, it folded, was huge. Folded tacos. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and to Kyle's tacos. point, I never really answered his question about how portable the TEF analyzer was. It, <laughs> you, it, it had a, a, a handle on it. You, you could fold the keyboard up into it and carry it, but if you did it for very long, you'd end up with one arm longer than the other. I mean, the, <laughs> yeah. the thing was easily like 30 pounds um very good friend of mine john murray uh did some some stuff in in some studios and things um and w was one of the early adopters of, of tef and when he was going around just to tell you how portable it was doing his stuff um when he had to fly to do things he bought a second uh ticket and it rode in the seat next to him <laughs> oh, that's i mean because the, the yeah these things uh <laughs> The only thing more remarkable about them than their size and weight was the price tag, because back in the day they were in the fifteen to twenty thousand dollar range. Wow! So no, 80s, you're, you're not huge. checking that thing as luggage. It, it it's gonna ride. <laughs> it's gonna ride shotgun with you. And and then later in your career, you got involved with with Sistune, the Sistune analyzer. Yep. Um, and so, can you talk a little bit about that shift for you? Yeah, well, before I got involved with Sistune, I uh, got involved with a piece of software called Ezra that's uh, made by the, the same company that does Sistune, uh, AFMG. Um, TEF was a great platform, um, a company that ended up buying it from uh, Gold, uh, buying it from Tecron was Goldline, and they ran with it for a couple of years, but there were some, some problems, and it ended up... Um, not performing as, as well as it probably should have or could have. Um, so I ended up jumping over uh, to Ezra for a number of reasons. 
Um, and then when AFMG came out with SysTune, um, ended up using that for certain applications. Um, EaseRub is good for doing pure acoustics and some uh, laboratory work. SysTune is geared more towards system tuning and optimization, either out in the field. I use it in the lab for some stuff as well, but it's, um, it, it, I really like it. It, it does some really neat things. Um, you know, Smart is the, the big boy on the block for, for that type of software. Uh, Smart's a great uh, application as well. Uh, Smart does some things that SysTune doesn't. SysTune does some things that Smart doesn't. Uh, both of them uh, can be used to, to good effect. And I, you know, I think it's, uh, I think people have probably heard me say this on the show before, but um, I mean, Jamie always says an analyzer is not a religion. Like these are tools that we use to, to answer yep. our questions. And if you understand how to read magnitude, how to read phase, how to read an impulse response, if you understand these conceptually, you're, you know, that's, that's the core. Um, it's not like when you change console manufacturers and you have to like relearn everything about how to use this tool. It's really, you know, it, you might go, I don't know where this button is on this particular piece of software, but what we're really getting at is understanding the, the data that's being presented here and using that to make good decisions. Ab absolutely. I could not agree more. Um, if you're learning the tool, if you're learning the console, if you're learning the, the measurement software and not the concepts, the fundamentals that are transportable to any of them, then you're learning the wrong thing. Can you talk a little bit about, I mean, I, I was watching this tremendous video the other day, and I want to say it was from 1973, something like that. It was on the Synodicon website. It was Richard Heiser, and he had his just home-built, you know, TDS rig that he made. And yep. what an absolutely incredible piece of history that is. Um, and then, you know, that kind of grows into TEF, and then you have, you know, you have the SIM machine, which is which is a little more compact, but still big. And so nowadays when, you know, you can run this thing on, on a netbook so sort of like the prices come down like you said we're no longer charging you know 20 or thirty thousand dollars for someone to get access to these tools there's freeware tools that can yeah. produce this data what does that mean for sort of the sort of you know if you will your average or your common audio engineer who doesn't have to be in a lab and a huge measurement nerd with a huge math background your weekend warriors have access to this stuff now and and uh, you know i know that bob mccarthy's talked a little bit about the shift in um, attitude in the fields towards people originally didn't really trust acoustic measurement and it was you know very much about well I'll use my ears and I don't have any need for this stuff and now it's it's very rare that you'll go to a major event and not see some sort of measurement yep. tool there um, so can you talk about that shift a little bit yeah it's I think it's a double-edged sword and that's just my own opinion uh, there's there's good and bad sides to it uh, the good side uh, is you know as, as you pointed out things are more powerful and less expensive than, than ever before. Um, you know, you, you can get a lot of things done uh, with them. The downside of it is they're very powerful and less expensive than anything ever before. <laughs> and so they're available to people that might not know what they're doing. Um, you know, so it's, it's not really the gear. It's, it's who's running it. Um, you know, it's, it, it's not the equipment, it's not the rig, it's, it's the guy running the system. Same thing can, can be said for, for the, uh, the mix engineer or the monitor engineer. You know, it doesn't matter if they got the, the biggest, baddest console and, and rig uh, flying up in the air on the planet. If they don't know how to use it, you're going to have a bad night. <laughs> yeah. I, I i say that all the time it's really interesting when people say oh you know i've only heard one show on x brand pa and i didn't like it and that that to me is just like you know the the person who designed that rig and hung it and tuned it and aimed it and and eq'd it and aligned it that is a way bigger influence on how that thing ends up sounding than, yeah. than the manufacturer of the box and i think people sometimes overlook that you know the operator's role in this yeah, it, it all comes down to, you know, the the people running the system and, and putting it all together. And, and like you said, it's not necessarily uh, the the guy or gal that, that's driving the, the rig that night. It's all the, the people that had something going into it leading up to that. You know, if yeah. it's it, it's the folks behind it. Do they understand the, the concepts? Do they understand the, the acoustics, the electroacoustics? Was it in an acoustically decent room? 
you know, did, did somebody mess up the trim height and aiming a little bit? Uh, yeah, that has way more to do with it than, you know, is it a good or bad PA system? Well, that's, oh, go ahead, Chris. Well, I'm, that, I'm, I'm curious. So, you know, you obviously have a drastically different line of work than the average people we talk to, right? We typically talk to mix engineers uh, for the most part, whether it's broadcast, rock and roll theater, whatever, right? So from a manufacturer and or, you know, science side of things of what you do from a, from a, from a career path, what drives you day to day and what is most satisfying in what, in what you do? Like what's, what's, um, what, yeah, what, what keeps you going and what, what is success for you in your day to day? Math. <laughs> yeah. Calculus. No, 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 not at all. Um, no, if, um, you know, I, I just love working with, with, with sound, audio, loudspeakers, amplifiers, DSP, uh, not that I, I just get a thrill, you know, doing that stuff. The, the goal that, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, I guess, is when you put it all together, um, and you know, the system loudspeaker processing, whatever that you've developed, when somebody listens to that, does it put a smile on their face? Mm. You know, it is, is it better than you know, the, the benchmark product you were going after? Is it better than, than the previous revision that, that you were trying to improve upon? Um, you know, that's, at the end of the day, that's what's important. It, it doesn't matter how flat the frequency response measurement is, how consistent the directivity is. Um, you know, all that has a bearing on things, and you want them, the, the metrics, the specifications to, to be as, as good as possible. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't sound good, something's wrong. Um, so that that's kind of, and I don't get to do that on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not the instant gratification. Sure. Um, that would be nice if, if it was. But, um, you know, when I'm, I'm working towards something, whether it's, you know, design doing the uh, vent tuning for a, a new loudspeaker or working on the, the crossover fart, whether it's passive or DSP-based or... Um, doing the the measurements and uh all the the calculations i need to do to come up with the an fir optimization filter to kind of equalize it and uh linearize the phase response all that uh, are, are little baby steps along the way and if i can see that i'm you know doing good in in those incremental little things i know i'm going towards the end goal and you know those things put a smile on my face every day um if, if I get good results with them, sometimes it's like, damn it. You start <laughs> over. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, when when you do up a demo for either your your client, folks in your, your company that I'm now working for, or uh, potential customers, you know, if you, you put on the demo tracks, they, they get a little smile on their face, their toe starts tapping, you know, that's you, you've done your job. That's where I'll throw this in. It, working for Biamp has to be a cool challenge because they do so many different spaces, so many different products for the different spaces, really like high-end DSP and, I mean, re- retail to arenas. Like, y- you guys are doing projects that are very demanding differently than what we're normally looking at with a with a left and right, you know? Oh, yeah. And I think that... So that that must be like a constant mind game as well as is the spaces that you work in to design the products for. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a different beast than than doing uh, large scale touring PA or even uh, it, it's you know the the touring stuff is somewhat related to uh, you know performance audio whether it's you know, permanent installation for a theater house of worship even you know uh, sporting uh, venues. But you get into airports, convention centers, stuff like that. Things shift a little bit in in, in what you're doing, some of the goals you're after. Um, but yeah, I've been exposed to that sort of stuff uh, for a while. Um, you know, I've had a consulting business for about 16 years, and uh, probably the majority of my clientele uh, doing that sort of stuff was uh, in in that sort of market. We, we got a, another guest. Hey. Yeah. Hi, Kemper. Kemper. comes to visit tonight. <laughs> Feel so, bad for her because she can't hi. hear what we're talking about. Hi, Kemper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'm totally steering her away. I like the physics idea, but definitely no rock and roll for her. <laughs> Go do your homework, Kemper. Math, 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 math. She's really good at math right now. Cool. That's funny. Uh, Charlie, I want to I want to talk a little bit about your, or I guess a lot about your your test lab for for measurements for uh, designing, you know, GLL files, creating GLL files. I think that's just. Yeah. A really cool thing. I don't think it's anything we've ever talked about. I think a lot of people who are listeners have heard us talk about prediction process where we're going to, you know, create a virtual model of the space and put our loudspeakers into that space and see how they interact with each other and, you know, try different loudspeakers, try different aims. And that's what the prediction allows us to do. But start down that road, we have to load a virtual model of the loudspeakers behavior into that program. And there's a couple, you know, different proprietary tools that some manufacturers have, but there is a standard program um, called Ease Focus, um, and that imports a GLL file, which is uh, basically a, a bundle of math <laughs> that, that describes the behavior of a loudspeaker. Yeah. And if you ever wonder where those come from, uh, they come from a lab, and Charlie has such a lab, and you built it yourself, right? I, I did. Um, it's based uh, a lot on uh, the, the lab that uh, Pat Brown has. Uh, he He's um, built his lab and, and started his measurement services several years before I did. Um, I'm privileged to call him a, a good friend uh, and a, a mentor. Um, and you know, when I was had my my previous business, even though we performed some of the same services, I won't I won't say we were in competition with each other. We we did the same things uh, for the same client base. Uh, but he was very helpful in, in getting me set up and uh, helped to make sure I didn't, um, I won't say made the same mistakes he did, but uh, clued me in as to uh, save me from from some headaches and, and banging my head against a wall. Um, it, it's I don't have an anechoic chamber. Um, I don't have that kind of money. I mean, those are <laughs> extremely expensive to build. Um so if, if any of you guys are familiar with doing ground plane measurements, uh, ground plane mic techniques, where you, you take your microphone and, and just you know stick it right on the ground, um, that eliminates the detrimental reflection from the floor, which is, is great because that's typically your, your first arriving reflection that you need to get rid of. For the lab, I did that times three. Um, I put the measurement microphone right in the corner of the room. So not only is it a, a ground plane on the floor, but a ground plane to the front wall and the side wall. Um, so that eliminates, you know, three of the detrimental reflections that, that you get. Um, and, you know, is when you get a reflection, you're going to get comb filtering and it's, it's going to, just screw up the the frequency response results from the measurement. So the only reflection left that I had to deal with was from the ceiling. Um, so me and a couple of friends made some homemade uh, fiberglass wedges. Uh, they're about four foot wedges hanging from the ceiling uh, with some uh, R30 on top of that. Um, so they absorb everything down to probably 50 hertz uh, or so. Um, we did, we built those things, um, you know, on site in July in North Carolina, cutting fiberglass. <laughs> That's not fun. I do not recommend that. Um, so if I had to do it over again, I, I might choose a different path, but, um, that was the construction of the lab. Um, so, you know, once I got rid of those three reflections and by mounting the, the mic in the corner and the, the wedges uh, to absorb the ceiling ones. The next one I had was going to be uh, the opposite side wall or the, the rear wall of the venue or potentially one of the other structures in the venue. And I just had to, to put everything in places so that that first reflection happened uh, uh, long enough in time after the direct sound so when i put an impulse response window on it to to gate it out and eliminate it um it left me with good enough frequency resolution to to give me accurate enough data for what i needed to do I, well 
two things. One, um, so the article that Michael alluded to earlier has pictures of all this. So we'll, um, mm-hmm. again, check check the link in the description. You can go see these pictures. I'll post these pictures in our Discord and, and Facebook group when this comes out. But secondly, uh, so the the corner um, eliminates those reflections, but is there not any buildup in that corner, or is it because the, imp- the the time winding of the impulse response, there is no actual buildup as you can narrow that out? How, do, how does How does that work? No, that's a great question. There, there is a buildup. Um, when you when you do a, a ground plane measurement, you're going to measure the SPL that you measure is going to be six dB higher than if the mic was you know way up like in the air in what half, we call a free field half space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if it's in a free field, well, so, well, uh, a single ground space. plane would be yeah, but single ground plane it would be half space, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 A ground plane technique would be half space, and for every boundary additional boundary that you have um whether it's on the microphone or or loudspeaker you're going to get a a a 60b increase in the spl um now you you're only going to get a 60b increase per boundary you know with the loudspeaker on the floor and the microphone on the floor that's Mm. only 60b it's not going to be 12 because you put the loudspeaker on the floor you know you don't get six for the loudspeaker and six for the mic if they're at the same boundary. So the f- having the mic uh, right on the floor gives me plus 6 dB. Move the mic to the, the junction between the floor and a wall, and now you're at plus 12 dB. You get six for each boundary. Now move that mic to the corner, so it's between the floor, uh, the front wall, and the side wall, and you've got plus 18 dB. So the SPL that I measure at the that corner-mounted microphone is 18 dB louder than what I would have measured if it was in whole wow. space and free field. But is that, I guess the second part of this, is that does that stay flat across? Is it just a straight lift? Or is there does this, this things ha- interactions happen once you go down into that corner? That's another really good question. And <laughs> Sorry. It, it, no, no, it, it depends. Um, because the boundaries... You, okay, I've, I've said you get plus 6 dB for a boundary, uh, and that's a, a pretty gross generalization. You're going to get 6 dB um, only if that boundary is perfectly rigid and reflective. So if at any, at any frequencies that boundary is not 100% reflective, perfectly rigid, you won't get a full 6 dB. It may only be five and a half. If, if it flexes and vibrates or has a little bit of absorption to it, like if it's um, if it's unsealed concrete, you know, down at 100 hertz, you're going to get you know, plus 6 dB. You go up to four or five K or even higher, concrete's porous. And if you haven't sealed it with something, you're not going to get plus 6 dB. I don't know exactly what it would be, you know, maybe plus three or something. So one of the things I did, luckily the, the floor in my place is, is sealed concrete. Um, the existing sidewall uh, was uh, cinder blocks, uh, concrete masonry units that we, um, you know, that's not exactly um, smooth. So we, we put sealer on that, smoothed it for about two or three meters around uh, the corner itself. You didn't have to do that to the whole wall, just you know around it um, for that one. We had to construct another wall um, there and you know, got it really flat in the area, used putty to, to get a nice corner and, and then uh, good hard paint to seal it up. And I wasn't sure once we had it all said and done, I wasn't sure how was I going to get plus 18 broadband or mm-hmm. were there going to be some frequencies where, you know, I had to uh, do a compensation curve. I knew I was going to have to use a compensation curve because uh, the microphone wasn't perfectly flat, mm. but um, you know, everything below probably about two K is dead nuts plus 18 dB. Um, and above 2K, I'd have to go back at uh, initial measurements and, and see in the compensation curve what was due to the microphone itself and what's due 
to the the corner not being perfectly reflective. But gotcha. my recollection of it is is the vast majority is in the microphone itself. Hmm. So no, it's a great so, question. Sorry about the long winded explanation. No, it's all but, good. <laughs> No, I, it's, I think, you know, for a lot of people listening, those are the questions they're going to be kind of thinking of as they're hearing this conversation. So I think it's great. Um, yeah, and the thing to, uh, that would probably be important to most folks out there that are doing their own measurements using a ground plane technique, um, you know, if you're putting it out in a uh, the microphone out in a parking lot or, you know, in a driveway or something, um, that's going to be really good and reflective up to... 500 hertz or 1k but above that it's not going to be um and so you need to keep that in mind if, same thing if you're measuring uh out in a field you know that's going to be even worse the grass and everything's going to absorb uh even lower than that hmm. when i was having to do measurements uh, before i had started the lab i just when i had to do measurements i did it in my driveway um so getting the lab was a really nice from that standpoint but one of the things i did because my driveway is just concrete and it's not sealed um i got a piece of uh glass tempered glass that was only i guess a not even a quarter inch thick of uh, probably like three sixteenths or something um but it's a, a little over two foot square um and being glass it is perfectly reflective up above 20k um so putting the microphone on that you know got me good in the high frequency region the thing you've got to make sure of is that you know whatever you're using for your high frequency reflector that has to be big enough to be reflective down low enough in frequency how low is good enough it depends on where the base substrate the driveway or the 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 dirt in the field how high in frequency is that perfectly reflective because once it starts being non-reflective you you need whatever you're putting on top of it to be perfectly reflective down that low and it's got to be you know a couple of wavelengths long uh, you know a couple of wavelengths wide couple of wavelengths deep at those frequencies it's it's kind of a acts as a spatial crossover, if, if you want to think about it that way, between, in my case, the driveway and where it started losing uh, reflectivity uh, or being perfectly reflective uh, and what I was uh, laying down on top of it that, that the microphone went on. Is the distance always the same microphone to speaker or how does that vary? Uh, it depends on what you're doing. Um, you More often than not, you want to be in the far field of whatever it is you're measuring, uh, unless you're doing some, some specialized stuff. But if I want to know what the frequency response of a loudspeaker is or the directivity, the directional response of the loudspeaker, you want to be in the far field of that Which loudspeaker. Which is twice the length of the, of the, the size of the box? Uh, no, the far field is actually going to be frequency dependent. Okay. Um, a lot of people use a rule of thumb as of uh, three times the longest dimension which is tip, typically the diagonal across the bathroom. Okay. That gives you a, a pretty good uh, rough idea. And if you're at that uh, distance, you're going to be good for the most part. But in the, the higher frequency regions, you could run into problems. Um, there's a, a PDF of some slides on my website that uh, shows graphs of this. Um, but say if you've got a, a loudspeaker that's... I don't know, let's say it uses a 12-inch a, a woofer and a, a high-frequency horn above it that's roughly about the same size. Um, because of the size of that horn, that's the radiating um, element um, for, for the high frequencies. And the larger the radiating surface is and the higher the frequency, the farther out the far field uh, begins. Right. So at, at 2K, for a horn like that, um, and I'm just pulling numbers out of thin air. These sure. aren't the exact numbers, but the, the relative relationship is, is going to hold. At 2K... Michael had, out his, Michael had out his Texas Instruments 
calculator. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I was going to say, are you taking notes, Kyle, for when you start your lab, man? No, I but, am. well, all, all the, the pertinent info is on, on the website, and you can get it. Um, but let's say at 2K, the far field starts at, at about two meters. Well, at, at 10K, it might be six or eight meters. Mm. So, you know... Right. If you want really accurate results from your measurement and want to know what that loudspeaker is doing, you really want to be in the far field. Um, gotcha. So that, that's one of the things that people always ask, how, how far. I, you know, you, you see uh, measure, measurement qualifications on spec sheets, and they say, uh, hopefully they say 2.83 volts one meter. That's a reference. That doesn't mean they were measured at one meter using 2.83 volts. You still right. see some that say one watt. I challenge they, somebody they, to they tell me. They extrapolated it based on, <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that would be cool to have you around so you could like go through all our specs and go, this is just like a bullshit. Well, Mike, is, <laughs> hold on, Michael. Isn't that what you do sometimes for ProSound Web in, yeah. in or sorry, for LiveSound International or whatever? I mean, like that's you know there there are specs that sometimes it's like this impossible this is the actually the spec it's impossible well, yeah, you yeah, go through the specs you say good good crap crap good yeah, crap yeah. good crap there's, there's an implied you know and they say sensitivity ninety three dB well well there's an implied suffix to that which is what Charlie's talking about so yeah we yeah. we want to make sure that this stuff's communicated clearly and it's accurate and you know if we that it's based in reality of, of some sort um, <laughs> I'm curious when you're gonna make a GLL file. What sort of standard or, you know, what do you have to do to be actually compliant with, with that GLL format? That's a good question. Uh, yeah, a, a, it just is. a balloon and it, a pin. That's all you need. A balloon and a yeah, pin. That's yeah. Really just a pen. I just draw nice straight lines and, and the digital <laughs> camera take a picture of them and import those. Yeah, um, yeah there's, there's really no standards body or anything that any anybody requires you to do to create a quote unquote accurate GLL. Um, uh, that's kind of left up. To, that's kind of scary too. It is. Now, if, <laughs> if you know what standards to use when you're doing your measurements, how to set things up right, and then use that data uh, to create the GLL, you'll have something very useful. Um, you know, as Michael was saying earlier, you know, the, the, the use of the GLLs is in modeling data. So you can do simulation predictions using software to see what that loudspeaker is going to typically do in a space when you set it up that way. Unfortunately, there's, there's some uh, companies out there using GLLs um, like a, a, an electronics data sheet, like, like marketing material. And mm -hmm. yeah. when people try to use those GLLs for predictive simulations, they're led to believe that they're going to get a certain SPL, uh, you know, in this application, and they never will. Well, I shouldn't say they never will. They will once, right before the smoke escapes from the loudspeaker, <laughs> um, <laughs> but never again. But to your point, there there are some standards there, like when you're setting the the well, you don't really set the sensitivity in, in the GLL. It it will kind of calculate it for you, but you've got to give it all the right data. You you have to have performed uh, your your frequency response measurements in the right way. And you have to give it the correct measurement conditions at the time of measurement, and it'll it does a, a lot of the the monotonous uh, grunt work behind the scenes for you to back calculate a lot of stuff. Like I don't have to somebody doing this stuff doesn't have to worry about you know did I measure at eight meters or did I measure it at seven? In in my space, I'm set up so that I am six point one five meters from the point of rotation of of a loudspeaker to the measurement mic that never ever changes. So I know I'm always 6.15 meters. Well, how does that relate to what the sensitivity of it is? I don't care. In the GLL, I tell it the actual voltage I used during the measurement. I tell it the measurement distance along with some other things. And if I've got, which all my stuff is, is calibrated, um, it will figure out what the delta is using the uh, the 6.15 meter, <clears throat> excuse me, 6.15 meters and the, the voltage that I used and will give you a display and reference it to that 2.83 volt one meter level. 
That's pretty cool. Um, and I think we'll, again, like Chris said, we're going to link to not only that article about the lab, but uh, Charlie's uh, author archive on ProSound Web. I was just kind of scrolling through it. There's so many. If you're into loudspeaker tests and measurement, loudspeaker design, there's a lot of really, really awesome information out here. My favorite one yes. that I send to people all the time is called Square Waves and DC Content, Deconstructing Complex Waveforms. And it, it viciously debunks uh the myth that will not go away which is that square waves are flat because they contain dc and that is not always the case um and i think that's a great article uh i i love reading it i'll i will confess it definitely challenged me the first time i read it and i had to actually ended up building my own little model to (laughs) to verify that it was in fact doing what you said it was and it, it was a really great learning experience for me so um, that's a, that's a great one. Um, so we definitely encourage everybody to check that out as well. Yeah, that 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 was a really cool article. That was one of the first ones I did for a major publication. Uh, I actually wrote that one uh, when I was at PV, and that thing must be twenty twenty five years old by now. <laughs> um, but yeah, the only time a square wave is going to have any DC component to it is if the the top and bottom of the square wave are not symmetrical about zero. You know, if, if there's some DC offset, um, you know, the, the fundamental, the lowest frequency component of a square wave is whatever frequency that square wave is. If it's a 1K square wave, the lowest frequency component in that is a 1 kilohertz sine wave, and it will not have any DC in it at all un- unless, like I said, Somebody's got a DC offset knob where they can, you know, run the thing up and down. And that, because that's closely related to, and actually, Charlie, I'm going to give you a chat offline about this. This idea that, oh, don't, don't clip your uh, amps because it sends DC to your voice calls and blows them out. Uh, and so it's kind of, you know, it's 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 deconstructing this, um, yeah. you know. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole, but uh, it's, well, it's, I will it's say a very one, interesting time. Yeah, I will say one thing about that because. Um, if, if you overdrive your amplifier and clip it so that it's putting out a square wave, um, that can be deadly to the high-frequency drivers in passive loudspeakers. And I touch on this in the tail end of that article uh, that, that you talk about. Um, it, it, it's because of that high-pass filter in the passive crossover before the tweeter. And, and the, that high-pass filter changing the phase relationship of the harmonics within that square wave. And what it actually does is it increases or can increase the peak level of the waveform um, post-high-pass filter that, that hits the, the tweeter or the compression driver. And it, it's that higher peak level trying to move the, the diaphragm more that either causes voice coils to get shucked if they're a little bit hot or compression dryer, driver diaphragm to slam into face plugs and get shattered or, or other neat fun things. <laughs> so uh, Chris has been sending, he's been texting us like all evening um, old vintage PV ads. Uh, he <laughs> sent out the, the CS800 uh, power amplifier looks like. Um, and uh, I know, Kyle, I know you want to jump into the, the vintage PV thing. Yeah, I mean, and first of all, I mean, the, the CSA header came out obviously 10 years before you came to PV, right? So, uh, but, oh, yeah. but frankly, at least this, those things. So the, the ad I shared with these guys was from 1979. Um, and, uh, and the ad is the new CS800. Um, <laughs> and, um, and it's funny. I do, so I, I do another podcast called How We Got Loud and, and we talk about the history of live sound. And so like I had spread this on my socials and like people went gangbusters on this because quite frankly, this amp still works to this day. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. like still for sale, still for sale like, and not cheap. Like my, like the, like literally the first amp that I remember as a kid using was this amplifier like i had to lug these things Same. around in the back of a station where i go with my dad doing gigs you know Same. um and um 
uh, so when you said like a tef like making your arm longer than one side than the other, I think of the CS800 <laughs> the same way. Like you know, uh, anyway. Well, yeah, uh, that's so, that's how you uh, mitigate that problem. You carry a CS800 <laughs> in one hand and a tef in the there other. You, go. Yeah. you know, they'll both they'll both be the same length, but you know, you'll be a knuckle dragger after that for sure. Yeah, and I mean, quite that's frankly, though, like the, 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 the the people who probably could use tef are probably not using a CS800, but it's a whole, a whole different conversation. But um, <laughs> Nowadays, back I, in the day, dude, PV uh, was a powerhouse. Back in the day, so I sent these like, guys. Holy cow! I sent these guys a picture of me. I'm probably like I don't know, 13 in the picture, and I have a PV shirt, like old school, you know, like the, the metal looking PV logo or whatever. And when I was a kid, I, and you know, I didn't know any better. I thought like this was the most metal shirt ever. Like you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> like 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 I, you know, I, look, I, you know, I grew up a uh, sheltered Christian kid music right let's just be honest what it was right and so to me and like i grew up as a sound guy with my dad and everything and so like this like the pv logo obviously looks like air quotes metal you know so like to me i was like this is fucking awesome right you know yeah. and then like <laughs> now i'm looking back going, eh, I don't know, you know? <laughs> yeah anyway. the, the old uh, lightning bolt logo uh yeah. as, as we referred to it um some people loved it. i mean hartley came up with that himself you know, and it, it was cool. We, a lot of us Marketing wanted to. Marketing, it worked. Yeah, it, it did. You know, one of the, the, the jokes that was always going around about that thing was, you know, in, in a bar fight, look out for the guy that's got the broken bottle. Uh, don't worry about him. Look out for the guy that's got the PV logo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right, Kyle, vintage PV questions. I know you got them, man. Oh, I don't know if I have any. Really? So I, I was just amazed when I was a kid. One, you could drop them down a flight of stairs, and they would work all day long, set your beers on top of them. I, I, just, I was a really a fan of PV. I had the Black Widow monitor wedges. Yeah. I had two 800s. I had two 1000s. And I went, I think I told, talked about this on another podcast. That's what I found out what the cans were for, for and how to use a crossover. Ah, yep. Basically, the first version of, of, of a crossover for my little three-way system I had when I was a kid. Like, it amazed me. I was like, holy cow, you can send the highs to the highs and the lows <laughs> to the lows? So that had to be 85, 86. So you were already there. Like, No, I joined PV uh, I, in uh, 88. 88 yeah. but yeah those little plug-in oh. cans for the the cs amplifiers those were great amazing amazing you know this before dsp was was in widespread use and you know folks were using analog crossovers the uh rain ac23 i think was was a really nice one pv yep. had a, a a couple of them but uh you had to throw down some bucks to to get those and you know the nice thing about them they had the the variability but if you know yes. you were going to cross over at 800 or, or, or 1200 or whatever, you could buy a couple of these cans and patch them into your amplifier. Um, and there you go. And they were, I think, what, like difference. 50 bucks or something? We, we were doing VFW halls and people would put like an EQ in line coming out of their amplifier into an EQ and then dumping the frequencies oh. that they didn't want. You know, like, dude, we were doing VFW halls in a punk rock band. Like, no one, no one cared, just as long as it was loud and they didn't get beat up. Yeah. But, um, holy cow, the difference it made. Like, I got gigs because of those cans. Yeah. Like, people would be like, hey, man, what are you doing? Like, can we use your PA next week? And then I started getting into the loudspeaker thing and, and figuring out how to set my three ways. Like, I don't know. PV changed my life. They really did. And it was affordable enough that a crappy kid like me from St. Louis could, like, afford to go to the used store and buy them. And they lasted. And holy cow, they don't make gear like that anymore. They really don't. Uh, some places do. They really it's, don't. Well, yeah, some, some of it <laughs> doesn't. You know, and PV gets a bad rap because... Uh, at, at the time, uh, we made a lot of entry-level stuff. Uh, never could could shake that that perception. But some of the gear was was really good um, and iconic. You know, you you could get decent sound out of it. I when I was uh, at PV, I had a a, a side gig uh, doing sound reinforcement, local festivals, bands, whatnot, and um, had some good friends at a, a, a bigger. Uh, uh, outfit over in Jackson 
and whenever they would would get overbooked or needed help, I'd help them out. And I helped them at a, a festival up in Oxford where Ole Miss is one day. Um, and uh, I guess it, the the guy that you know had a stick up his butt or something was the promoter. He saw us setting up and saw the PV logos, and he was not happy at all. He was like, "I'm not paying for this crap." I was like, "You know, you go talk to the guy over there. I'm, I'm just setting it up." Um, and I just steered clear of him the rest of the day. Well, that that evening, I forget what what the act was. It may have been uh, North Mississippi All Stars, um, but they were playing and they were just rocking out. They were jamming, and I, I see this guy talking to his buddy, and he's he's kind of moving a little bit and uh, you know having a great time. And he looks over and sees me, and I just kind of give him a thumbs up, and he's like, "Oh shit." busted yeah you know but that goes goes back to you know after you've done all the work and everything if you put a smile on somebody's face Mm -hmm. you know their toast happen you've done your job so speaking of putting a smile on somebody's face so you have um this segment's gonna be good um i see it um so on your site you have a bunch of patents that you've worked on yeah. Right. And there's one I know of where this is going. There's one where, of which that would put a smile on my wife's face. Yeah. Um, and Mine that too. is <laughs> is the pillow set with snoring noise cancellation. Yeah. Um, can you talk about that? <laughs> I I can, oh, but man. I've got one of those things active right here, so you won't hear me. <laughs> um, no, that did a lot of work on that with uh, one of my clients. It's actually um, the vice president for R&D of that corporation uh, was at, at Tech with me at Georgia Tech when I was there. And um, that I don't think ever got productized. Um, mm. I think some of their priorities shifted after we developed some of the technology. And so had you're those saying patents. I could start making something? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, kidding. Kidding. it uh, need a spokesman. Yeah, it 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 never saw its way to to fruition and and into the marketplace. That's not to say it it never will. Shark Tank, but uh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my lady, my lady would love that. I think all of us would get pillows. Yeah. Well, I, I just wanted to say when you talk about, uh, you know, Charlie, you said entry level product. I mean, I think all of us, maybe not Chris, but me and Kyle, we were in bands when we were growing up and we saved up our money. I was actually up in my parents' garage the other day and I found my high school band's powered mixer with the two PA speakers and yeah. you know, this crappy cables. And I, it's one of these. I'm going to take it down and I'm going to go put it in my shop and measure it, I think, soon. I'm really curious go. to see what that thing Nerd. does. But, but. We, when we were 15 out there in the garage doing that, we weren't saving up and buying Meyer L Acoustics or DB. You know, you, you just can't. So there's a real, to me, there's there's a real place in the market for affordable entry level gear that's not garbage, you know, that these kids can get and, and beat on, like Kyle said. And, and a lot of us, I think that was really important to where we are now. So I think that, that stuff, you know, People want to give certain brands a bad rap, but I mean, that, a lot of us are here because we had access to that. Stuff, Absolutely, you know? you know, back back in the day, it, it it was PV, Yamaha, Sun, Biamp, you know, completely different market uh, back then. Uh, but yeah, entry level mixers, amps, powered mixers, loudspeakers. Um, yeah, I, and you're right. It's important that there are some companies out there doing that. You know, lower cost entry level stuff, so that. People who have an interest, um, even if it's just a passing interest, can get into it and find out, well, hey, I had fun with it, or, man, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, if it yeah. wasn't for stuff like that, there wouldn't, I don't think any of us would be here. You know? I, I, I like that. So next time I'm stuck at, at the Charlotte airport, I'm going to call you <laughs> up. Give me a holler. Uh, so if, 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 if you were going to take the three of us out to eat locally... Where would you take us? What's your favorite Ooh, place? Wow. Um, <laughs> food, 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 food. I guess, what, what kind of food do you guys like? Well, you it's, your, it's, your, no, it's, it's your choice. choice no, 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 this is on you. Consumable. Um, I, I don't get into Charlotte that often for food. Um, there's some, some places around here. There is a, a, a good place that, that's got uh, a diverse selection uh, called Cowfish Palace. Um, they do burgers. They do sushi. Um, 
that that's pretty good. I, I, I tell you, though, there's a place right right down from them that's called Booyah. Uh, it's a tapas place, and it is off the hook. That That's there probably where I'd take you guys. Yeah, that's it. Booyah. Like Booyah. It. Yep. I like it. If, if we didn't go, if, we ha- if you were in town for a little bit longer, uh, I'd have you over and I'd cook for you. Because I love to go. cook. We yeah. can arrange that. We can arrange that. Home cooking. You're the first guest to offer that. That's by true. The way. Out of a hundred and something episodes. Yeah. That's cool. Well, I would be totally down for home cooking North Carolina style. I mean, you know, that's going awesome. out's great. You can get stuff that you, you don't do, but I, I love to, to mess around in the kitchen. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy. All right. Well, then decent. if we're coming over, what are you cooking? Uh, yeah. so it, it might be fish. It might be steaks. It might be barbecue. Probably all the, fish. All the above. Probably. I fish. like all those things. If uh, <laughs> if the time of year's right, because um, I probably have to do this the weekend before. I probably cook some gumbo, and there then we go. When when you got here, oh. we do some black and red fish. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chris Leonard, do your question, man. Yeah, man. All right, so Charlie, if you could define your legacy. Or how you want to be known? How would you define that? Wow! Uh, just put, go ahead, put me on the spot. Um, you save say the best question for yeah. last. You know, um, I, I I hope I'll be remembered as somebody who helped others and, and helped the industry. Um, you know, I I do a lot of work on standards committees um, that. You know, I enjoy doing. Uh, I hope it'll be a service to the industry and to others. Um, you know, I, I've done a lot of work, not just with uh, Audio Engineering Society committee standards committees, but with uh, CTA doing stuff on on the consumer side. Uh, that a lot of folks, both in pro and consumer markets, have found very helpful. Um, some folks are aware I'm involved with that. Some aren't, and that's that's fine. Um, I, I don't have to get recognition for it, but at the end of the day, I, I hope that some of my work, whether it's standards I've been a part of or uh, articles I've published, presentations I've made, uh, I hope they help people elevate the state of the art in the industry and, and moves everything forward. And awesome. I'll, I'll just say, because Brilliant. you know I can speak to that personally, I, as, I, as I spend more and more of my working hours in the test and measurement sphere, Sometimes you kind of get into some rabbit hole and you're like, you know, I really kind of want to get a, a an external read on this or a second opinion on this. And I've been known to, to shoot Charlie an email or call him up and just say, hey, am I totally off base with this crazy thing I'm working on? And, and so I and more often than not, that. I respond with, hell yeah, you are. <laughs> you know, no, Stop doing that. <laughs> How can you be revolutionary if you don't make waves, yeah. right? So I, I, I absolutely really appreciate all, all of that assistance and help and advice that you've given me, Charlie, and I'm sure that all of your work and your articles are uh, a big help to everyone who's interested in that kind of stuff. And so, uh, thanks for thanks for your time and your generosity, man. It's been great. Oh, to chat I'm, with I'm you. glad to do it. I just appreciate you guys inviting me on. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, thank you. So, so for any, and I was gonna say this earlier, but we just you know we have a lot to get into. For anyone who maybe wants to get more into this outside of reading his uh, Charlie's stuff. Uh, I'm sure Charlie would support this. So, I mean, Synod Con, you mentioned Pat Brown. I mean, I, I was very fortunate to, um, I've done all of the like Synod Con 101, 102, or 201, whatever it is. Uh, and I actually got to go to a 301 level course with Pat in, on site, which is a three day intensive. Yeah. That basically that's is, fun, right? There. Is insane. Yeah. Like, that's when I first learned about GL, GLL and like what um, convolution and all this stuff is that we're talking about today. Like, if you want to melt your mind, like, go to that. Um, and uh, and so I highly recommend finding time to go do some Synodcon Pat Brown stuff and, and dig more into this stuff. It's it's freaking awesome. Yeah. And, absolutely. and Pat's on my list of people to get on the show. I just haven't we haven't gotten around to it, but he's absolutely yeah. Pat and Brenda, us, so. uh, his wife Brenda Brown, run mm-hmm. an excellent um, operation. Um, Synodcon was originally started by Don and Carolyn Davis. Don Davis. And yep. uh, Pat and Brenda took it over from them many years ago and have just taken it to the next level. Uh, I don't think there's any better uh, bang for the mm-hmm. buck in, in audio education. Um, Pat spent a lot of years doing the online stuff to make it more mm-hmm. affordable for folks that uh, they it's can do it. It's extremely affordable. Like we're talking, it, it's yeah. like, like, like one-on-one course is like maybe 150 bucks, 200 bucks, something like that. And I you mean, can do it on your own time. You don't have to, yeah. back when 
when I was first doing SynodCon, you had to travel somewhere to do yep. the, the seminars in person. Yep. You know, they were a lot more expensive. Plus, you had airfare or, or hotel, you know, drive-in, yep. hotel, yep. and everything. So, yeah, the online at your own pace is great. But like you said, if you ever get a chance to go to one of the in-person seminars, go. Don't hesitate. Mm-hmm. Yes. You, Pat is a master instructor. He is awesome. He knows the subject matter. Uh, but one of the things that you get, and this was a big thing with the SynodCon community, is just as much learning goes on after hours. Mm-hmm. You get guys getting together, guys, gals, everybody after hours going out to dinner going to get a, a beer or something uh and chatting and sharing war stories and stuff and just as much learning goes on there Absolutely. some of my best friends uh in the industry today and just friends in general are people i've i've met through SynodCon and have kept up with over the years yeah, uh, I'll, I'll give a shout out to um, Dave. I'm gonna screw his last name, Struzenbacher, or how the hell you say his name. From Deck, from, 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 Deck, from Dactronics. He's in a Discord. He's in a Facebook. I mean, him and I met at SynodCon, I don't know, five, six years ago now. And, you know, he's, him and I have helped pick each other's brains for years now. And, I mean, it's, it's a relationship I would have never had if it wasn't no. for SynodCon. So, uh, and that goes for any Infocom, you name it, these things. Yeah. Like, well, you, we you, talk about that all the time. It's so important to have people you can call up and say, hey, I'm stuck on this. What would you recommend? You know, I, I, I was doing a, an arena thing a couple months ago, and I called Dave to talk to him about it. So it's just having people in your network who know stuff is so valuable and so important. So, yeah, we, cool. we are all for that. Um, Charlie, thank you so much, man. Yes, thank you. thank you. Oh, man, you, you guys that are welcome. awesome. I've enjoyed it. <laughs>